Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. Where I've found success, and I know some of my peers have found success, is making sure that from from very early on, whether it's actually even before you start to recruit or attract talent, it's important that your organization um, is honest about who they are. And when they market themselves, whether it's social media, whether it's on their career page or their homepage, uh, they need to, to truly, truly share with customers and candidates, you know, what they're all about and what's important to them. And I believe that if we do that, you know, the, the recruiting process becomes much easier because you can have that conversation right up front with them. Bob has led culture change for recognized retailers as a culture catalyst with a simple philosophy, lead with love. As CHRO for Ocean State of Law, his human-centered approach has earned the company repeat recognition as one of America's best mid-sized employers by Forbes, a top company worldwide for millennial women, and healthiest employer among other awards. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. I am very happy to be discussing and chatting and having a great dialogue with Bob today. How are you, Bob? I'm doing really well, Enrique. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. And I am especially excited about our chat because part of what we are going to be talking about is purpose at work and especially how to align people's purpose with the purpose of the organization. And I want to begin being here. A couple of years ago, I believe the the business roundtable, which had always been about profit and uh, and shareholder, uh, you know, profit maximizing, Mm -hmm. started saying, you know what, it's not just about the shareholders, it's about all the stakeholders that we are impacting with our operation. And what that means is that now purpose becomes a much more important element that we need to take into account for our organizations to progress, to succeed, and to be profitable, of course, and sustainable. So let me ask you this question. How do we start aligning people's purpose with what the organization is supposed to be doing? How How do we bridge that gap? Yeah, well, you know, where I've found success, and I know some of my peers have found success, is making sure that from from very early on, whether it's actually even before you start to recruit or attract talent, it's important that your organization um, 
is honest about who they are and when they market themselves, whether it's social media, whether it's on their career page or their home page, uh, they need to to truly truly share with customers and candidates, you know, what they're all about and what's important to them. And I believe that if we do that, you know, the, the recruiting process becomes much easier because you can have that conversation right up front with them. And, you know, the candidates, you know this, candidates are excited to, to understand what a company is about. And that's, yeah. I believe, if you've got the right purpose as an organization, attracting talent gets pretty easy. Yeah, no, absolutely. But now let, let me ask you this too. You know, you you a, a the, the the value proposition of an organization becomes critical when you want to attract talent that is aligned with your values and your purpose. Mm-hmm. How about organizations that are trying to sort of work that out when they they already have people inside and they are trying to create a culture where they cater to people's passions and talents and purpose as well. How can, how can they rethink what they are and the connection between what they are and what their people want? Yeah, I would say you have to create a listening culture. And it's important that the senior leaders uh, really have candid conversations with themselves first and say, so what do we really want to be and who are we really? And the reason they got to have that conversation is because people will see through it if it's just words and if it's just words on a wall or a saying. And then if they really are are truthful about wanting to pivot as an organization, then they need to start having real conversations with their people and understanding how the people and how do you perceive our organization and what are the ideas that you have to make our organization better. That's where I'd start. Yeah, absolutely. And how about leaders? You know, I want to ask you also about the role of leadership in this equation, because very often you find like the two schools of thoughts, right? Which is people who are all about if we better align what we do with what people want and their passions, we are going to be more profitable and we're going to be better as an organization. And you also find the other school, which is people come here just to work to make their money. I don't care about whether they are aligned with what we do or not. We got to take the most out of them and they got to produce money for us. So how can we educate leaders or motivate them to think differently about what organizations should be doing today? Yeah. So what I've, what I've seen and what, what I've been part of in my career is almost that whole test and learn. You, You can't, you can't force something on on what I call legacy leaders, um, but but what but what you certainly can do is align yourself with those leaders that believe in the purpose and where you want to go, and then as they start to attract team and develop their teams, you start to look around and say, "Holy cow! Look in such and such division and look at what they are doing. Look at the results they are doing, and hey, the people actually look happy too." How did they get there? And then you get some of these legacy leaders that were on the sidelines before starting to ask the right questions and those conversations that used to be in the hallway that are now virtual uh, start to take effect and they actually start to believe. And yeah. uh, it, it's, it's actually a beautiful thing to see when someone transforms and really starts to believe in it. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you, you, you call them legacy leaders. I call them old system thinkers. And, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I call them that way because they are people who, there are leaders and practitioners, actually, who yeah. think that the old ways of doing things uh, are going to propel their companies forward into a new reality of life, into a new reality of work. And the reality is that, no, that's not going to happen anymore. And you see that sort of uh, working out in, in, in a time where the creative workforce is working from home and mm-hmm. there are leaders trying to bring them back to the office when it really doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Because if you had already proven that people can work from home effectively, they are delivering the performance, they are productive, and that's the way they want to do it. Why are you going to force them back to do something that is against their uh, their nature, against the way they work? So it's, I think it's just a testament of how important it is for us to evolve in our mindsets. Yeah, and, and it's, still, it's always going to go back to where, where is your CEO's perspective on this yeah. or your board of directors or whoever's yeah. leading that organization? You know, I, I would say... That absolutely is still happening today. There's no question about it. But we also have to be courageous leaders. You know, if we're going to make change, we have to be stewards of change. And we have to have those courageous conversations. And and I've done it. And and others have done it with those, uh, I'm still going to say, legacy leaders to ask them, you know, why? And we've actually used data to show uh, why it's important to to have the best talent, and why, and when they when they can't get the best talent, and and they honestly say, "Well, I want the best talent," that opens a window for the conversation. Yeah. And um, I believe, again, I believe in the human spirit, and I believe most people are good, and they're just this is uncomfortable to them. They've been in the workforce for such a long time, and. Um, Change, change is hard, especially when outside of work, there's so much change happening. Yeah. They feel like when they get to work, they can stay in this box. Well, the box just doesn't exist anymore. That's yeah. just my perspective. I, 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 lo- I love that. And I think there's, um, I agree with you, there, 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 there's a lot of fear about what these changes entail for the organization. And people may feel, uh, once again, you know, uh, fearful about whether they will have a place in the new reality, right? In the new, mm-hmm. uh, in the new workplace, in the new nature of work, if they don't think that they can catch up with the new skills they need, with the new behaviors they need to embrace, with the new cultures that are being um, that are being built in the organization. So, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions about this. Sure. First one is that even when some people may be may may be fearful about this if organizations do not evolve and adapt to the new set of circumstances of our world, they will just go out of business, whether it is today, five years from now, or 10 years from now, they will go out of business. So, so my first question to you is from the HR perspective, how can HR leaders create the case for their CEOs, for the board and tell them we're not attracting the kind of talent we want, or when we attract them, they are leaving too soon, or mm-hmm. we, got a, we got a level of skills that is good for today, but it won't be good for tomorrow. So how can they create the case of urgency and action at the same time? Yeah, so um, 
the, the way that you make the case is first, you, you have to have uh, a business mindset. So yeah. what, what is going to drive business for today, right? And then depending on what are the motives or the mo- what, what motivates or drives the thinking from your CEO or leaders, you then speak that language. Yeah. So, so for my CEO, he loves data and a lot of CEOs love data. So you know, early on, um, I would share the cost of retention you know, the, the cost of turnover. And so I started to talk about bottom line costs. And when you start talking in their language and showing them, um, they start, they start to listen. The other thing that I, I like to lob things out there and just let people chew on it for a while. (laughs) And so it could be as simple as sharing a Harvard, a Harvard business review article and bringing it up as a topic at our leadership meeting about the why to things. And eventually, if you are good at it and you start to, again, leverage leaders that embrace this because HR can't do it alone. If you're surrounded by legacy leaders, you should punt and go find an organization that you can be successful in. But there's always change agents at the leadership level in all organizations, and you gotta leverage your business partners. If that answers your question, it, it does, and I and I want to I, I want to highlight a couple of things that you mentioned from from your uh, from your explanation. Mm-hmm. One of them is we gotta understand our clients, the people that we're serving in the place where they are, and this to me is a, a an incredibly uh, powerful thing that HR people need to learn. We should not expect the finance people to come to us and speak the language of HR. We gotta go to finance and speak the language of finance. The same way they speak the language of the of the of the CEO, or the marketers or salespeople speak the language of their clients. We have to speak the language of the people that we are serving in the organization, especially if we want to create a business case for change. And and of course, the second thing that that you mentioned is that uh, you know in the world of HR. It is it is just uh, powerful to start, you know, somewhere, right? And and whether it is via data, whether it is creating, uh, you know, partnering with somebody who can become a champion uh, of our cause, or just listening to them and then saying, "Wow, that's so important that we can partner on that." And I found that co-ownership of uh, transformation is way more powerful than if it's driven just by, you know, one single unit. Yep. I've told my team, I've built a great team. I've told them I haven't had a good idea in my 25-year career, but somehow I'm a CHRO. (laughs) As long as it's anybody's idea and it's impactful to drive change, then I'm signing up. Uh, The other problem we have in HR (laughs) is we always make big words. We use more big words than than any department in the company. I was having a conversation the other day and someone said, you know, organizational effectiveness, or you know the words we use. And I'm like, what is the business going to, do they even know what that means? Yeah. Can we just say we're going to focus on helping people learn? And, uh, you know, every day I understand why we need to use the words, but we, we have to constantly check ourselves and say, am I speaking the right language? Yeah, absolutely. Because once again, you know, like it, we, we are serving other people in the organization and, we should not expect them to speak our language. We should meet them where, where they are. And, and that actually, I, I want to, to 
take this conversation to um, to the to a, to a place of uh, discussing about culture, and and I want to ask you. You just mentioned something really interesting, which is, you know, I I want to create a a, a space for our people to come forward with their ideas, mm-hmm. with the challenges they may have, and some potential solutions. How do you do that? How do you create that that space of some level of safety, but some level of also risk taking and encouragement yep. to people to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm identifying this problem. These are my ideas. How do you create that? Yeah, you use the word trust and that is absolutely true. And leaders need to understand they need to be vulnerable. We, we at our organization call it a, a listening culture. We are listening is the vehicle we use to, to talk to everyone. And again, it really starts at the top. Yeah. Our CEO, when he addresses the organization, says, I have no idea what is the best way to do something. Pick a level, entry level, you know, Janet. I have no idea what the best broom is for you guys. Yeah. Um, but I want to know what you need and how do I support you to be the best at that role that you can be. And I also want to know what we can do as an organization to make work better. And if you get that buy-in at the top, it really becomes pretty easy. Absolutely, because you're basically creating, once again, that space for people to come forward to either ask the questions or come with the ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that, to me, is just so powerful. It's It's the idea that is the people who may have the answer to the questions and not the leader. And... And that to me is so valuable. And we celebrate and reward people for great ideas. And yeah. so we, we truly, you know, again, it goes back to who cares whose idea it is. You know, the last time I checked, this was a team game. Yeah. And, uh, and as long as your company believes that, we're, everyone will be successful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I know the one other area that you spend a lot of time thinking about is how to make sense of all these generations working together yeah. in the workplace. Uh, you know, uh, the baby boomers, the Gen Xers, the millennials, the uh, the now the Gen Z, which mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, young people who are just now getting into into the workforce. H- yeah. How do you make sense of it all, especially when there's a sometimes there are competitive, uh, you know, uh, our competing priorities between these generations. How do you make sense of that all? Yeah. uh, So the other thing I do, and and I think you know this, is I'm pretty simple. And so I always try to find the commonality. And so when, you know, again, people say, where I struggle in general is when people say, look at all the generations in the workforce and look at how different they are. And, And what I counter that with is, well, I'm going to go back to Maslow and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It doesn't say that this, this pyramid works for a certain generation. It it means that it works for all of us. So I challenge people every day to say, what are the common themes that we as an organization um, can agree on? And that is simply, I don't know a person that doesn't want to be heard. I don't know a person that doesn't want to be recognized for good work. I don't know a person that doesn't want to know that they're cared for. So we spend a lot of time on what makes us all a human as opposed to what makes us different. Yeah. And, and then, again, if you create that safe learning environment, 
you can start to have those conversations with that leader who says, you know, I'm in the same pod as someone who is IMing me all day. You know, what is wrong with so-and-so? And then you get the flip side is, why, why does he want me to turn around or she want me to turn around and talk to them? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but that creates the environment for talking. Yeah. And I, I learned very uh, young in my career that um, reverse mentorships and, and partnering um, different generations with each other to get to know each other was very successful. And so that's the way I approach generations. And then from, from a true associate life cycle, I think it's important to do, you do have to understand some of the differences and make sure that we're marketing and rewarding them on what's important to them. You know, someone, someone later stage of their career, it's not so important um, to get the race, but it is important that you're helping them protect the 401k yeah. as an example. So yeah, making sure that you, you do understand there are uniquenesses to each generation and you tailor to those as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I like the idea of we're all humans, right? And we all may want the same things. Maybe they have different flavors for everybody, but but we all want to be heard, recognized. We all have we all want to have some level of safety uh, in our jobs or in the skills that we are learning, whether for the company that we work for today or any other company in the future. So I think that is really powerful. So, so Bob, as we wrap up this, this great chat, I want to ask you a couple of questions. The first thing is, the first question is, what do you think is going to be the learning, the agenda priority for HR leaders in 2021? What do you think they should be focusing on in 2021? You know, I had this conversation today, so you just threw me a softball. Uh, <laughs> so thank you. Not uh, rehearsed for everybody. We didn't rehearse this. <laughs> that is correct. I, I think we really need to start thinking about what the future of work means for, for our organizations. And I know that that word's been thrown around by Josh Burson and, and McKinsey and all of those big players. But there's, there's a reality check today. Uh, you know, you saw early on in the pandemic, Twitter and some of the big companies said, we are fully remote. And then you've seen other people um, saying, well, we, we need to be hybrid. I think as leaders, we need to start engaging not only our leadership teams, but our people on what is right for your organization. Certainly you can look externally, but I believe the future of work is going to be unique to the company that you work for. And I think that that's gonna sneak up on us quicker than we think. Yeah. So I would say that that's, that's one thing. And then I think, you know, from a courageous uh, perspective as leaders in HR today, is we have to make sure we don't fall into old behaviors. Human nature is go back to what's comfortable. Yeah. And so we have to be the voice of what was successful and make sure that we don't forget that. Yeah. Because we, we will swing right back to where we were in there. You, you started this off, Enrique, that there's some great things that have happened now and yeah. we cannot lose focus on those. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the conversations that I've had in the podcast and in the recent events, they, I think the most common concern among leaders is the possibility of ever going back to the way things were before. And we know that the, where, the way things were before was not working for everybody. And I'm hoping that the, the magnetic power of, of the, the comfort zone of the past doesn't bring us back there. 
Um, so Bob, my last question to you is, you mentioned a couple of things uh, for HR, for the HR agenda in 2021, uh, focusing on what the future of work means for your specific organization and being courageous not to go back to the past, but to design whatever makes sense for you. What should be the starting point, the first action that yeah. HR leaders could take in order to start implementing this agenda for 2021? So I, so I asked, I did a word listening session with leaders in the organization and then also people at different levels just saying, hey, when you think of work in the future, what, what does it mean to you? And then I, I, um, I posed the question to our CEO. Uh, where are your thoughts on what does work look like for our organization in the future and making sure that he was open to, or at least thinking about um, what it would mean to us. And, and he's a progressive guy. So he was exactly where everybody was. Um, what I, what I think is great. And it goes back to the whole human thing is I don't know that remote work is going to be, I think we're going to be a hybrid workforce. Yeah. I think the best companies will be hybrid. Yeah. And the reason that is so encouraging is I was having a conversation with someone probably two months into the pandemic saying, my team um, is going to be remote forever. We can recruit from around the country because we can be remote. And I, he was one of the folks I had the conversation with a week or so ago. And he said, I miss brainstorming with my team <laughs> so bad. I just want a whiteboard in a big room. And I said, yep. It, it it all comes around in due time. We have to have that human connection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Bob, thank you so much for spending this time with me and sharing your insights and ideas. It was a great chat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking HR Podcast. See you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.